And so last week we started part one of a part two series on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, reading verse 8 that we covered last week. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. And so we looked at the word grace. It's all that you need and more. All the mercy, all the kindness, all the forgiveness, all of the love, all of the patience. It's, it's not man's grace or it's not some arbitrary power of grace. It is the grace that comes from God who is completely unique. There is no one like him. And his grace, it's going to take us eternity, Ephesians 2 tells us, to understand the depths of that grace. Probably even then we won't. But this grace, where we sin, his grace abounds more. I love that in 1 John 14, he says, And of his fullness we've all received. Not just grace, but grace upon grace, which is an impossible thing. Because grace in and of itself is all you need and more. But then it's all you need and more once again. And we are saved. Saved from what? Saved, saved from being already a good person, but not the better person we want to be? This is what a lot of religions teach. We're already good people. When the Bible says, no, we are born sinners. And God, who alone is judge, has already spoken how he's going to judge us. And that is, in his mind, our unrighteousness, our sinfulness, the wickedness of our heart full of adultery and fornication and murder. Well, I don't, I've actually killed somebody. I have not actually committed adultery. But if you did it in your heart, God doesn't just judge the outward man. God judges the heart. And so we have probably in our heart killed as many people as Hitler. <laughs> being mad, saying, you idiot. Right there, we murdered somebody in God's books. And he says that that judgment will be a just judgment. We can't, in our brains, understand true justice. But God says it will be an eternal separation from him. Your sins, whether you grade them a bad or grade them not bad it's irrelevant because you're not judging yourself there's not going to be 12 humans judging you there's not going to be 12 angels judging you this is simply god alone is judge and he said the smallest sin you ever committed will separate you eternally from him and that the wages of our sin is justly righteously death Jesus describes that place of separation. It's a place of hell, of punishment, of torment, made originally for the devil and his angels, but yet man who will not receive the love of the truth, man in his own pride, man in his own self-righteousness, and won't humble himself and receive a savior who can save him by paying for his debts on the cross, will go to that place of eternal hell. So when we are contemplating whether or not it's comfortable for us, it feels like right timing for us to share the Lord with somebody. The moment is life and death, not just a moment of death, but an eternal death. And then we looked at faith. Again, faith in faith is, doesn't exist. Faith in and of itself really has no meaning. Because faith can't be understood until you realize what it took to. So if you've got a big diesel truck that needs to be towed, and maybe you get this big giant chain, and you hook it to this guy's 10-speed bicycle. <laughs> you say, okay, we got the big chain wrapped around the bicycle. Now, you know, pull this diesel. It'd be foolish, right? If you think about it, everything on this planet, if you put your faith in it, cannot help you. As a matter of fact, if your faith is in man or in some organization or some religion, it will hurt you. 
When you really think about it, the only thing you want to have faith in is one who is perfect in love. Perfect in really every way. Who's all-powerful, all-knowing. There's only one who, can, who has always existed and always will exist. And that is God. And so to put faith in God is an incredibly wise thing to do. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your good works. And so it's in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we have grace and love and we are saved and we have faith. And not only that faith in God, but it's actually something that God gifts to us as all humans. We looked at this last week in Acts 17, 31. He's given assurance, that's the Greek word pistis, which is faith, and of this to all, not just a select group of people, but to all, he's given this faith when he raised himself from the dead. And Romans 12, 3 says that we all have been dealt, each one a measure of faith. That word measure in the Greek, it's a standardized amount for everyone gets the same. Today we're going to look now, as we continue on in verse 8 and finish verse 9, we're going to now look at this phrase, not of yourselves, not of works, and a gift of God. And so not of yourself. It's, it's amazing. This takes something that's so simple now and makes it so complex because it's focused on ourself. Our human pride wants us to accomplish this. Our human nature says we have to add to it. We have to do it. Our fallen nature, like Satan, wants to create whatever it is into a religion with things we can print out in a manual and things we can document whether we are keeping up our end of the bargain. And it, in our human fallen nature, it becomes a religion that's man-centered. The Jehovah Witnesses aren't knocking on your door because they're God-centered. It's because they have to knock on a certain number of doors for themselves not to go to hell. They wouldn't think that they could go to heaven because only 144,000 people, according to the Watchtower Society, are going to heaven. But it's for their own salvation they're doing this. And so it's our human nature to make it man-centered. And, and intrinsically, intrinsically, following this religion has made me in myself a better person. Before I was a Mormon, I was out of my head. But now that I'm a Mormon and I'm following the Mormon doctrine, I have now become a better person. Intrinsically, we want to add to it with our righteousness. Remember that story of Gideon in Judges 6 through 8? God called Gideon to fight against the Midianites who were coming to devour the country once again. And he called all the tribes and 32,000 people showed up. And God said, even though there are millions like the sand of the sea, the Midianites are coming up against you. I know your heart, even though you're so outnumbered with 32,000, when I give you the victory, you'll claim that it was you who did it. So tell everybody who's afraid, go home. And all, everybody went home at 10,000. Now it's 10,000 against millions. And God said, I know your nature. That even with 10,000, instead of giving God glory, you'll take the glory as if you did it in your own might. So go down and watch everybody getting a drink. And everybody who laps like a dog, they can stay. So of the 10,000, it went down to 300 against millions. And God said, Okay, you probably still take credit, but, you know, there, there's the number. That's us in our human nature. Well, God got me started, but it was really my gas that kept it going. Yeah, God bumped me into where I needed to be. I was off the road. He bumped me into a, a, the right way, but once I got started in the right way, boy, I'll tell you what, it took a lot of discipline, 
took a lot of hard work. I had to get up an extra hour every morning to make this happen. But boy, I made it happen. And I tell you what, I've stopped this and I've stopped that and I've stopped that and I started this and I never do that. That's our human nature. It's not of ourselves. It's never going to be intrinsically something that happens in us. A matter of fact, the opposite. As we learn of the righteousness of Christ, as we learn of what true love is, we find ourselves struggling greatly. Not grading ourselves as some person who has attained to a righteousness of God. God didn't really need to save me. The cross of Christ sort of bumped me onto the right road and after that the baton was passed and I had to start doing it myself. That's all religions of the world. All religions of the world, once I shave my head and get those beads and start praying five times a day like this and I start kneeling like this on the carpet and I start lighting the candles like this and I go to church like this, I, I find that I now have intrinsically become a more better person, a righteous person. Well, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says our body, we're going to learn about it in Ephesians 2, it's actually sold under sin to bondage, and our body is actually growing in its corruption. Crazy, isn't it? Our bodies, every day we live on this earth, is getting more sinful. That's why when God had to destroy the world in a flood, he said, after the flood, I'm not going to let men live as long as their bodies will take them anymore. I'm going to put a lid on it at the most 120. And of course today, it's less than that, but yet we continue to grow. In Romans 7 and 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but I hate that which I do. Follow me along. I'm going to read quite a bit out of Romans 7 here, starting in verse 17 down to verse 25. It's a beautiful day today, but boy, that wind is kicking up. I'm having to hold on to my notes here. Um, Romans 7, verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Not now, not in the past, not in the future. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil, woo, the evil I do, will not to do, that I practice. This is after Paul Apostle was a Christian for many years years now if I do what I will not to do it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me I find in a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members Oh, what wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this, what, body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It is our human nature to look at ourselves. And even though we know the Bible says it's not true that our flesh will become holy after our spirit and soul become holy, and the spirit now lives in me, the spirit of God lives in me, making my spirit come alive and holy and as righteous as God, and my soul that's been wounded by my fleshly sinful practices, it does begin to heal. Not completely, I don't think. But our soul begins to heal. And we figured that since God who lives in me is holy and my soul now can say, no, I hate evil. My soul now that was once a servant of my flesh, my soul now is becoming brave 
and courageous and trying to stand against the flesh. And so I say, yes, it's only a matter now, spirit, soul, my body also will become holy. And when I walk, I'll sort of glide. My foot won't actually touch the ground anymore. And when I pray, dust, shiny dust comes down from heaven all over the furniture, all over the house as I pray. And when I poop, it doesn't stink anymore. This is not going to happen, guys. I guarantee you, 99% of you on your last day on this earth, even if you're 110, you will sin before you go to heaven. Oh, maybe it won't be the sins of your youth. Maybe you'll be in the hospital at that little gown where your butt shows every time you get up. But you'll be angry at that nurse for not getting a shot here quicker. People coming to visit you and you're angry and agitated and a few hours later you die. And you're like, wow, now I'm in glory of heaven, but I was, last day of earth, I was just mad at those nurses. I was so bitter. It's our nature to look at ourselves. Think of what happens when you look at a picture. <laughs> hey, here's an old camp picture. What's the first thing you do? You find yourself. And then you begin to talk about yourself as if that's the reason they were showing you the picture. Oh, I was so skinny back then. Oh, my hair, I hated that hairstyle now. We, we began to talk about ourselves as if that's the, that's the focal point of why they showed you the picture. Did you see anybody else? No, I don't need to. That's us. That's our, that's our nature. And so in the same way with our Christianity, how am I doing with my righteousness? How am I doing with my holiness? How am I doing with my goodness? How am I doing better now with my lust and greed and bitterness than I was a year ago or two years ago? Then subconsciously we begin to grade ourselves as if I could accurately do so. And we create some imaginary grading system that we believe is accurate to how God grades us. By the way, God does not grade us because he did, if he did, we would fail horribly. And so after looking at ourselves, we feel what? Gross. They're discovering that your online persona is causing depression and in some kids even suicide because they found they can create the image they want on the internet and now they have these 3,000 friends but they know the 3,000 friends are all friends with my online persona not me and so now I don't have any honest friends I only have friends that I've been able to put my best foot forward you know you just got sick in the car and you barfed and you stubbed your toe but when you take that picture of Disneyland, it's like, man, it's, everything's perfect. We fix our hair. We, you know, okay, go ahead and take the picture. No, get it over here. The background's better. As if that snapshot relates reality to your situation. This is what we do. We create a standard. And let me tell you what you do with that standard. You keep raising it you keep subconsciously raising it. So every time you sit and get your eyes on yourself, you will fail. Your own system and you're failing it. Don't you think you would rig your system where you pass? Not in our human nature. We keep raising the bar. Man, I wanna lose 50 pounds. Look at yourself after 50 pounds, nah, I wanna lose 60. You see somebody skinnier than you, I wanna get, I wanna lose 70. It's our human nature. We, we want to keep up in the, the standard. And therefore, we feel guilty. Then we feel unworthy. We're, we feel unworthy to ask God for anything. Oh, God, I would pray, but i just so unworthy. Just, just please don't strike me dead. That's my only prayer. Just keep putting up with my sorry self. That's my only prayer. Because I'm not worthy to ask you for anything else. It's one of the things in leadership. 
people start stepping into leadership and, and now they're teaching the stuff they're struggling to do themselves. Often people think the pastor's the holiest guy around because he's teaching such perfect things. He must be doing all of that and more. The times I fail the most in my marriage is the weeks I'm studying Ephesians 5 and the weeks after I study Ephesians 5. The devil's like, okay, this is a good one. We're going to make this guy feel like a hypocrite. He's not going to enjoy teaching on marriage. Sure enough, when we set a standard, we find ourselves failing that standard no matter what. And of course, God help us if we grade ourselves good. How are you doing? Boy, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I thought Bob at church was doing better than me until he confessed a few things and I'm doing better than him now. I like that. Now we're self-righteous. The worst of all sins. We're, we have spiritual pride. The worst of all sins. Because you graded yourself well, you're actually a bigger sinner than had you graded yourself bad. You can't win. If you have a work system, you don't win. If you grade yourself spiritual, you have self-righteousness and spiritual pride. If you grade yourself bad, which you typically do, you feel bad about yourself, you feel bad about God, you feel about Christianity. It's a no-win situation. Now, why am I talking about this? Because next week, we're going to look at verse 10, and it says God's made us for good works. But if those good works in any way validate our salvation or our good works help our salvation to be sure, then we're going to be doing all of these works out of fear and guilt. And we're like all pagan religions on the earth. We're now trying to work to, God, to gain God's favor. We're trying to work to make up for my bad stuff that I did. All of this is the religion of man-centeredness, not God. So what must we do to get out of this not of yourself or of yourself issue? Number one, get your eyes on the Lord and get your eyes on the things of heaven. Colossians 3 verse 1 through 4. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now a lot of times people read this. Seek those things, start being holier. If you have been raised with Christ, start being holier, you unholy person. Because Christ is sitting on the throne. I, I've had people read that verse and that's what they walk away with. That's not what that verse says, is it? It says, if you've been raised with Christ, as you believed in his death and resurrection to be your death and resurrection. This is when we get baptized, that's what we do. We say, you've died with Christ, come out of the water. You've been raised with Christ to give you that imagery to say it's a done deal. It doesn't say that. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, get your eyes on Christ at the right end of the Father. Get your eyes on his righteousness, not yours. Get your eyes on his mercy, his goodness, not yours. And he goes on in Colossians 3 to say, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Wouldn't that include your human body? Get your eyes off your own human flesh. For we died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with them in glory. Do you see none of that you were looking at yourself? All of it is getting your eyes on Christ and heaven, and what that glory will be because we are in Christ. In 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, when he is revealed, our eyes are on him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? He purifies himself just as he is pure. Notice here, this verse doesn't say, if you get your eyes on him and a little more willpower. Get your eyes on Christ and a little more discipline. Get your eyes on Christ and try to sin a little less this week than you did last week. He doesn't say any of that. How do we get purified? Why on this earth? We get our eyes on him. 
and we rejoice in our new body that will be holy and is righteous. The same exact body Jesus raised from the dead, exactly the same way. Our sinful flesh will become into a heavenly body. Our righteousness, number two, will never be good enough and will never save us. You see, if you're going to go on this term, well, God sort of, he saves us, but then it's like two or three years, you should have Christianity down and be doing all the right stuff. That's what all those people at church are doing. You'll sing a little better in tune. And, and you'll, you'll have most of the Bible down by then. And you'll be obeying, you know, a greater percentage of it every year. That, that's the concept. But understand this, guys. God has never been less than righteous in all his past. He's righteous in all his present. He will be righteous in all his future. So can you do that? You see, even if right now I could be perfect in righteousness in my present and be perfect in righteousness in my future, my past has already excluded me from being righteous as God is righteous. Do we get this? Our past 10,000 years of doing things right can't make up for the least of our sins in our past. So man's attempt to be approved by God as a worthy candidate for heaven will never be accomplished. We won't go to heaven and go, man, thank you, Lord, for saving me in 2022 because that 2020, 2021 kicked my butt. I had such a hard time living righteously. But by January of 2022, it was awesome. I had like three righteous months in a row and then the rapture happened. Woo! That, well, that, was, that was good timing. Thank you, Lord. That's what we're hoping for if you're man-centered. That's what you're hoping for. If it's all about you and your righteousness, your good works to save you. Because, man, three months in a row, you feel like a king. Three months in a row, you feel uh, like the most righteous guy on earth. Well, if God were to grade those three months... It wouldn't look like the way you graded yourself in your own righteousness. In Matthew 5.20, he finally tells the multitudes, you'll not go to heaven unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Freaked them out. And then he says, here's God's definition. If you're going to grade yourself, Matthew 5.48, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not in one area of your life, but in a thousand different areas in your life as you walk through the day, you got to be perfect in every one of those thousand. Isaiah 64 says it best, but we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like a wind has taken them away. Our righteousness, you know, I I think, again, people think, oh, our righteousness is sort of like a dirty towel. After you get out of the shower, you dry yourself off, and, you know, you wouldn't know anybody else to use that. It's My righteousness is like a, a towel that was used once. No. Our righteousness has filthy rags. Imagine if you gave one of the baby's diapers to your five-year-old and asked him to take this cloth diaper into the washroom area and put it in a certain basket. But the five-year-old sort of irritated, and he took that diaper and he just threw it against the wall, right at the shower, or right at the the washing machine. And then it sort of slid down behind that washing machine. And you keep noticing this weird smell over the months. And finally, you, you, you notice there's like this fungi growing out from underneath the washing machine it's all bubbly and green and it looks like it's breathing a little bit so you move that dish you move that washing machine out 
And there it is, this alien from another planet. This big green fungi growing and then there's this core, I can't tell what it is. And it's uh, breathing in and out and it feels like it's looking at you. And, and the smell is just unbelievable. And you start trying to clean that thing up and you finally find the baby's diaper from a year and a half ago. That's you on your best day compared to God's righteousness. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We in this wretched flesh can never attain to the righteousness of who? God. You see, we're not attaining to the righteousness of the best person we know. We are having to attain to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that is not just in the present and in the future. That includes the past. You would have to say from the day you were born till the day you die, you lived equal in perfection and righteousness and holiness as God. Now you'd be worthy to go to heaven. But no one can ever do that, even come close. So the sinful human estate is this. We can never become righteous of ourselves. God does not put us on a five-year probationary period, and by five years we should have this Christianity down, and we should all be living a pretty holy life by then. So I'm not going to grade you for five years, but at the end of five years, we're going to sit down and say, how are you doing in your righteousness? God never does that. He never grades us. He daily is washing us with the water of the word. He's daily washing us, making us perfect in righteousness. He is doing it. We're going to learn that in Ephesians 5, without spot, without blinkle, without blemish, without any sin at all. Christ cleanses us to present us to the Father. Do we understand that? And then that day of cleansing... He forgets it. He puts it into the deepest sea to never be remembered again. He scatters as far as the east is to the west. North and south, they have a pole. East and west, don't, you don't have an east pole and a west pole. Because east infinitely goes east and west infinitely goes west. And so our sins have been scattered from us. So if you were to come back and go, God... You know, I know Jesus cleansed me from all unrighteousness, and I know I confessed my sins like five times, but I'm still feeling guilty, and my soul is still damaged from the hurt I caused or the sin I committed. I just want to ask again, would you forgive me? And God's like, for what? Well, you remember two weeks ago that No, I don't. Well, just take a look in me. You'll see that. You'll see it in there. No, I don't. I see, perfect, I see a perfect righteousness because my son Jesus cleansed you and keeps washing you. You're without spot. You're without blemish. You're without wrinkle. And when I forgive you, I forget it. So there's nothing for me to remember. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do that. So in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified declared righteous in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the good news in Christ, he has given us of his righteousness. It'll be realized when we're in our new bodies with him. Notice in these next two verses, the term in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. How? In him. Philippians 3, 9, and be found, how? In him, not having in our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith. Paul says that in this body, even though he has attained to living obediently in many ways, he's still far from being perfect. In Philippians 3, 12, not that I have already attained, 
or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So Paul is saying, I'm bearing fruit. That's what I'm looking at. And you don't go to heaven because you bear fruit. Jesus said, I'll die on the cross. And then I'm going to start calculating how much fruit you've borne in your lifetime. And if you've borne a certain amount of fruit, you can go to heaven. That's what all cults do. No. Bearing fruit gives us reward in heaven, but it doesn't take heaven away or assure heaven to be ours. No, it's by faith alone. In verse 3, or number 3, we are going to be holy as God is holy, but not while in these bodies. So quit trying to trick yourself that you are going to be holy while in this body. Before the cross, God commanded us to be holy. Why? To see our sinfulness. In Romans 3.19, For we know that whatever the law says, and guess what the law says? Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. The law says that. It says to those who are under the law that every mouth might be stopped and all the world may become what? Guilty before God. But after the cross, the Bible just makes the statement, you are going to be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So my kids might look at my face and laugh going, oh man, you old people look funky. But my DNA is in those boys who are laughing at me. And I say, get a good look, buddy. Because this face is going to be your face at my age. It's going to happen. You can run, but you can't hide. No. The, the work of cross, the work of Christ has made us holy already. In Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he is perfected forever. Wow. That's our righteousness. Those who are now being sanctified. That's the word for becoming holy. He's already perfected us in righteousness. And he has already has a plan to sanctify us in our bodies to be holy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, or the word perfectly. May your whole spirit, soul, and what? Body. I figured the Lord would leave that one out. I figured the Lord would say this, that your whole spirit may be preserved blameless. That makes sense to me. But that's not what the Lord promised, is it? He says your spirit, soul, and body will be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You see, this body, this some, some part of this DNA is going to be used by God because Jesus had a bodily resurrection. His body wasn't a big dust pile in the tomb. Jesus' body, there was no, 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 nothing left of his human body in the tomb. It was all gone. But yet his body was no longer that human body that he had been born in through Mary. It had been transformed. It had been metamorphosized like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. So this body is going to be metamorphosized out of this slug, <laughs> out of this worm that crawls around under the deep, dark places in the damp places under the leaf, chewing, chewing, chewing. No, we're going to be out in the sunlight, in the air, and we're going to be flying, and the wind's going to be catching our beautiful wings. We're going to be changed. This body is going to be blameless when at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you, who is it who calls you? Jesus. He will do this. If you worry a lot about it, you got to worry. Once you become a Christian, you worry. Am I really going to get my body? Am I really going to go to heaven? Am I really going to be righteous as Jesus is righteous? You have to worry at least 12 hours a week to go to heaven. Right, Mike? Got to worry about it. 
You, you, as a matter of fact, you always need to be on edge whether you're going to make it to heaven or not. Because that's what God wants. God wants you to say, believe on me for salvation, but then you need to worry. If you don't have an ulcer the time you get go to heaven, you haven't, I don't know if I can take you. Does that make sense, guys? How is that a good news? We are not to worry about my righteousness. I've already been declared righteous by the work of Christ. I am going to be in a body of righteousness, never on this earth. But my body will be transformed into a brand new heavenly body at the coming of Christ. We'll be raptured in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And that body will start at the beginning, be righteous. It'll continue to be righteous. It'll forever and eternity, that body will be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But for now, we just groan. We groan in these sinful flesh, don't we? In 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, for we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the what? Heavens. For to this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with the habitation which is from God, from heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, for we bought by faith, not by what? Sight. Not by worry, not by fretting, not by doubting. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. There's faith. We have an absolute certainty that, yes, we're pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And then we go to the next statement, not of ourselves, not of works. So of ourself is hoping that intrinsically in us we'll become holy and righteous while in this body. No, God, is, God did not say, I'm saving you, I'm dying on the cross for your sins, but you need to get that body of yours a bit more righteous than it is, or no heaven, no ticket to heaven. That is the Christianity most people believe. And it's a false message. And it's no different than the Mormons, the witnesses, the Muslims, the higher Krishnas, all of those in Eastern religion, it's no different. See, Christianity should stick out like a giant sore thumb. It shouldn't be anything like any other religion. In all other religions, you come to an awareness of your need for God and you begin to pray and fast and become a vegetarian and maybe cut your hair and have a ponytail and wear some wear a necklace with 90 beats. Hi, I Krishna, Krishna, Rama, Rama. Hi, Krishna, Krishna, Rama, Rama. And I do this five times a day. So I'm a vegetarian. I got a ponytail. I'm sitting now in a robe. I got my legs folded. I do yoga and I, and I say five times because I, I got to pursue God. I got to get God. And once I get God, then I, I got to hold on to him by keep doing this. That's all religions in the world. Christianity, God pursues us. God, through the work on the cross, makes us righteous. All we do is say, yes, God, you're pursuing me. Yes, God, you want to make me righteous as you are righteous. Yes, God, you want me to have eternal life. Yes, I believe in you. He did all the pursuing. He did all the work. And now he comes to you. And we do not do our works to add to it. We do not add our works to confirm it. Our works do nothing. Our good works don't guarantee we're saved. And our bad works don't take away from our salvation. In Titus 3, verse 4 and 5, But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not of works of righteousness which we have done Woo! can you get clearer than that but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the holy spirit galatians 2 16 knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law but by faith in jesus christ 
even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified, how? By faith in Christ. And what? Not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, added up, no flesh shall be justified. You see, man says, oh yeah, I know the Old Testament law can't save me. But then we create our own law. We create our own law. I need to be holy. I need to not be greedy. I need to not be, you know, lustful. I need to not be bitter. And yeah, that's all true. But when you're saying that, oh no, I'm bitter, and now I may not go to heaven if the Lord appears. Oh, I'm really struggling with lust this week, and I, I may not make it to heaven now. All religions, including many Christian religions, intentionally or unintentionally, create a works-based religion. And it's a very simple thing. To be right with God, you have to do the good works, not of the Old Testament law, but the works that the organization has put in front of you. I look at the Catholic Church, for example. In writing, they have it right. Faith alone in the work of Christ alone and by grace alone. But yet, then they tell you, you've got to be a faithful Catholic and never stop being a Catholic until you die. And by the way, as a Catholic, you need to make sure your baby gets baptized. You need to have confession to the priest. You need to take communion regularly. Your church attendance needs to be somewhat consistently. You need to have your last confession before you die. And on and on it goes. And it's very simple. To be right with God, you have to be right with the Catholic Church. If you're not right with the Catholic Church, you're not right with God. To be right with the Catholic Church, you've got to do these works. You can see it. It's plain as day. It quickly goes from God-centered to man-centered. It goes from being by faith alone to a works-based religion. Religion is man trying to reach God, who is accessible only to the really sincere ones trying to better themselves. They create a system in which man is now trying to please God with his piety and with his diligence. Many denominational churches have fallen into the same religious trap. Works are necessary for salvation, often implying without directly saying it. But if good works are, and a Christian life is going to stand, is not happening, you should doubt whether you were ever saved to begin with or whether you lost your salvation. Because your pattern of good works is not to the degree it needs to be to have an eternal life. One of the ones that came out in the last decade from very prominent Calvinists, it's called Lordship Salvation. And you got to realize Calvinists believe in what's called persistence of the saints. You got to be obedient till the day you die. And you can't really know you have eternal life until you've done that. So according to them, are you going to heaven? I don't know. I got to keep persisting until I die. Calvinism teaches that. And so they came out with this Lordship Salvation, which says, until Jesus is the Lord of all your life, he's not Lord at all. So I believe on the Lord, but then did I really, in my heart, sincerely surrender it all to Christ? Well, no, by your works. And so people now are attending church, and they're singing the songs, trying to say, Jesus, be the Lord of all of me. They're reading the Bible saying, Lord, I want, are you the Lord of all of me? Be the Lord of all of me. And week after week, month after month, year after year, they, they're crying out, Lord, am I really saved? Because I'm saved by having faith in your grace, but then I had to, at some point from my heart, make you the Lord of all of me. And that, I don't know if that's happened or not, because there's some days I don't feel like you're in my life at all because of my struggles. You see, Christianity is God satisfying a just judgment upon himself, then he reaches out to us, pursue us with this good news of salvation he has accomplished on our behalf and wants to give it to us as a gift. This is verse eight again. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, it's not 
because of what we do intrinsically of myself. It's not because of what I'm going to do intrinsically of myself that God has saved me. You see, God saved me and I haven't really been obedient as I want to be these last 10 years, but God knows at some point I'm going to do great things for him. That's why he saved me way back in the past. It's not of works. It's not because of some work we are doing now. It's not because of some work we're going to do in the future that we are saved. It is a gift, right? When you have a birthday, people don't hand you a a gift and say, look, I'm only giving this to you because I think of us as like best friends. If we're best friends, I'll give you the gift. If you don't say I'm your best friend, I'm not going to give you the gift. Or I'll give you this gift, but you got to do five jumping jacks. I don't want to do five jumping jacks. Okay, just one jumping jack. I'm going to go put this gift in the car if you don't do a jumping jack. We don't do that, do we? And I love this because birthday gifts are really a perfect analogy. Because what did you do to get a birthday gift? Just caused a lot of pain and suffering. Think about it. Your mother should be getting the birthday gifts, right? And if you have 10 children, you get a gift from, you know, you get a party and a gift every month for having 10 children. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because they did a lot of work. They did a lot of suffering. I mean, carrying you around for nine months and the back hurting, you don't sleep well. And, you know, if you have morning sickness, I mean, the moms really deserve a gift. We ignore them. Oh, it's all about your little child here. It's all about your grown child here. You should, nobody should get a birthday gift for being born. That's just ridiculous. They should take a gift away from you every once a year for causing your mom so much pain. True, isn't it? Why do we get birthday gifts? It's perfect analogy for salvation. What did you do to be born again? I was born into it. I was born. That was it. I I love that because that's perfect. Jesus said you must be born again. We're going to look at that in a minute. But in Romans 11, 6 says this. And if by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But it is not of works. It is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Now, I know that verse is sort of a one you got to meditate on. But, but he said, if you're saved by grace, there can be no work. Not a tiny little, 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 little work. Just one jumping jack. There can't be anything or it's not a gift. If there's anything you have to do to get that gift, it's not a gift, right? Do we get that? And God is only giving salvation as a gift because nobody's worthy of it. Okay, I'm gonna give you the gift of salvation. All you gotta do is be perfect in holiness now till the day you die. That's the way a lot of people think about Christianity. And I know it's gonna take you at least five years. So I'll give you five years, but after five years, you should really start feeling like a horrible person and maybe you're not even a Christian because five years has gone by and you're still not living perfectly holy as God is holy. This is the Christianity that often people get stuck in their brain. And it's damaging. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. In Romans 4, 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Notice it doesn't say justifies the top 10 good good people. It, It doesn't say he who believes on him who justifies those people that are basically good to begin with. Who, do, who is God justifying? The ungodly. Do you qualify? His faith is accounted for what? Righteousness. I am as righteous right now as Jesus is righteous. Do I see it when I look in the mirror? No. Do you see it when you look at me? No. But I believe that I am righteous as Jesus is righteous. Why? Because I humbled myself and said, I need to be saved. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. And I believe Jesus' work on the cross is a substitute 
with all my sins being punished and paid for in his body on the cross, therefore I'm saved. And therefore God's given me the gift of righteousness. Romans 4, 6 and through 8, just as David also describes the blessed as the man to whom God imputes righteousness. How? Apart from works. Blessed are those whose lost deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom God shall what? Not impute sin. Boy, that's going into the rest of chapter, all the way to chapter 7 again. I think another great example is the thief on the cross. He did absolutely nothing, right? He just came to the realization that this man is forgiving horrible people. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Who? Everybody. These horrible Pharisees. This horrible Roman soldier. These two horrible Roman, or these two horrible thieves. All those people mocking him. Without exception, Father, without exception, don't pick and choose. Don't, don't say him, forgive him, don't forgive. No, Father, forgive them all. And that thief hanging on the cross, his hands are tied, he can do no good works. His feet are tied, he can do no good works. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let me ask you the question as we go on to the, the last phrase here. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. What did that thief have to boast in? Boy, that, that, I was so humble. And I said, Jesus... Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What word usage was that? Was that perfect or what? Of course I'm worthy to be in heaven. I prayed the perfect prayer. I, I unlocked the magic box with the right combination. What does that thief have to boast in? In Jesus and his love and his mercy and his kindness and his forgiveness. And if any work had to be done prior to me hanging on the cross, I'm dead but I know that no works previously in the present or in the future are necessary on earth for me to have the same heaven as the most righteous person that ever lived on the earth. Because our righteousness, the perfect, most perfect person on the earth who lived righteously, maybe Daniel or John the Baptist or somebody, even though John the Baptist lived out in the middle of the desert <laughs> from a little boy all the way up through his adult life until he was killed by the king he might have lived righteously but even then God who doesn't judge us the outward man but God who judges the heart saw his righteousness John the Baptist's righteousness was that of filthy rags as well so very in a very simple way to know if there is true faith in your heart with no boasting just ask the question have they done what they're telling him? So for years, I was fighting the Church of Christ, the Boston movement, and they believe you gotta be a member of the Church of Christ, you gotta get baptized in the Church of Christ by a Church of Christ pastor. And if you didn't do that, and, and baptize only in the name of Jesus, not the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they don't believe in the Trinity. Only in the name of Jesus. And you just simply ask them, so I gotta become a member of the Church of Christ, get baptized in Jesus' name only in the Church of Christ. Did you do that? <laughs> of course I did that. Boy, boasting starts. I had only got to church one time and I had my best clothes on. I just walked right down there with even my best clothes on. I just got my hair done and, and it didn't matter. I knew I had to get baptized. And I've been in the church of Christ and I have tithed perfectly. And I, my tenants, I missed one time when I was sick. But outside of that, I've been there every week. Wow, pretty proud of that, aren't you? Ask a Catholic. What do you got to be to saved? Well, you, you got to get baptized as a baby. Were you baptized as a baby? Oh, yes, I was. They got something to boast about. You see what I'm saying? All religions have something to boast about. I have nothing to boast in except in God's love for me and his mercy and his kindness and taking the penalty of all my sin upon himself, all my boastings in Christ. Paul says it perfectly in Galatians 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the what? Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world's become crucified to me and I to the world. Well, I want to finish up here this morning with Jesus' conversation 
with Nicodemus in John 3. In John chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, there was a man of the Pharisees called Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 100% of all of us are, are on planet Earth right now because we were born here, right? 100% of everybody who's in heaven will be born again, a second birth. Nobody in heaven's going to be there that wasn't born a second time into that kingdom. You must be born again. There's no exceptions. There's a saying that says, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Think about it. You must be born again. There has to be a second birth. That is the birth that happens in a person when they have faith in God and the work of his son on the cross. God's spirit will come into their life, take away their sin nature, cleanse their hearts from all sin. Then they continuing in faith, believing that God will never undo this work of salvation, but will continue to be faithful to us to the end. Jesus explained this as he goes on. Nicodemus is going, oh, oh, this is so hard. And Jesus reaches back in the Old Testament to a story that's a strange, weird story out of Numbers 21. And in Numbers 21, the people once again were murmuring and complaining, I stink and manna, you give me food from heaven, I hate that. And God, unbeknownst to them, had put a block on all the poisonous snakes that were under them, which were a lot. They were walking through this giant snake bed and all the snakes were kept underground. They had no idea. And when they did that, God just withdrew his hand of protection and the snakes came out of the hole, bit them and they died, bit them and they died. And they came to Moses saying, God, you know, help us. And, and Moses says, God, and help the people. They're all going to die of these poisonous snakes. And God said, go get a pole. These are the poles they carried their flags on for each tribe. Go get a pole. And then on the pole, you need to make a bronze serpent and wrap it around the top of that pole. Is that weird or what? Everybody knows the serpent represents evil, sin, maybe even the devil. And yet they're going to be saved by looking at sin. They're going to be saved by looking at evil. They're going to be the satanic symbol. They're going to be saved. But they did. They had faith. All they did was look. They looked at the bronze serpent and they were saved. Jesus talks about this story. And in John 3, 14 to 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, what does it mean to believe? It means you have faith that Jesus on the cross, he who knew no sin, became sin. He took all our evil upon him. He took all our sinfulness upon him. He there conquered Satan, brought Adam and Eve and mankind into this sinful world with a sinful nature. Jesus on the cross became sin for us, our substitute. So we say, pray a prayer, confess with your mouth, that's unnecessary. Many mute people, many deaf people have believed and are in heaven. Many people even in comas that are barely awake, but yet they can squeeze your hand saying, I believe they're in heaven. All you got to do is just have a heart of faith, look unto Jesus and the work on the cross, and you're saved. 
This is the gospel we have received, 1 Corinthians 15, that if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and on the third day he raised from the dead. If you believe that is your salvation, you're saved. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is saying. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And now we see the context of probably the most important verse of the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's have the band come on up. Sorry for making the sermon a little long these last two weeks. Where can you go? What are you going to do? <laughs> That's the nice thing about COVID time. It's like, yeah, nothing to do. More important than that, this is a time for us to just stop and say, have I been trying to get approved by my works? Have I been trying to earn salvation by feeling more holy and more righteous by looking at myself and thinking about myself and grading myself and asking myself the question, am I living up to the standard to be worthy to go to heaven? You've been believing a different gospel. It's been a different Jesus. The gospel we have, it's by faith alone in the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ alone. He on the cross has now perfected forever those of us who are being sanctified in the process of one day getting our brand new body at the rapture of the church. And today you're just here going, I believe. If you're listening on social media right now, you may be on the other part of the world right now, believe. You may be listening to this Valentine's Day message in 2021, 10 years from now, if the Lord tarries. This is it, believe. Next week, we're going to learn God's purpose for us, but it's not hinged to salvation or losing salvation. Our good works don't confirm our salvation. Our bad works don't take away our salvation. But a joyful thing now to walk with God by faith in him. From faith to faith, the righteous shall live by faith. Thank you, Lord.